This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I hear it's a very special birthday today. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Jessica Alba, uh, Penelope Cruz, Jay Leno, Harper Lee, Lionel Barrymore from It's a Wonderful Life, Edward IV, King of England, and um, also yourself included, I believe. I wouldn't say it's a very special birthday. No. Slightly disappointed I was very low down that list, Craig. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, enough of that. Let's look at the markets today. It's been a very volatile week, and that has continued. It has. We've seen quite a, a, a poor start to the week, really. There's been a lot of volatility, as we've seen before, but also a lot of negativity at the start of this week. Now, I don't think it's necessarily clear what's really driving this sudden surge of uh, negativity, whether there is just this ongoing inflation and interest rate concerns. Maybe earnings season isn't going quite as well as hoped, but it's still going relatively well. It's maybe a mixed bag at times. Some of the tech earnings have been a bit mixed, whether you're looking at Alphabet in terms of advertising revenue and the issues there. But then you see Microsoft and the cloud performing very well. But then I think, broadly speaking, it's maybe just not been as strong as an earnings season as maybe some had hoped in light of the very challenging environment that we are currently experiencing and the concerns around interest rates, etc. We're also in the Fed blackout period, and I wonder whether maybe the lack of talk on that side is maybe driving some of the potential unease. It's hard to say. And obviously, we've also got the developments which we're seeing in regards to Russia in the West and Russia cutting off Bulgaria and also Poland from its uh, natural gas because the two countries have refused to pay in rubles, which is something that comes into force uh, about now. Obviously, it's easier for Russia to cut off countries like Poland and Bulgaria, but let's see what they do. And other countries like Germany and Austria and Italy, the big importers of Russian uh, natural gas, let's see what they do if they refuse to pay in uh, rubles as well. Because if we do see this unified response from Europe, then all the talk recently has been, will there'll be a European embargo on Russian natural gas. There's not really been much talk about whether Russia would follow through if these countries refuse to pay using this new ruble uh, mechanism. So it's easy, like safe, to cut off smaller countries, but to cut off the big ones and all of a sudden you're cutting off a massive source of revenue and there's no easy alternative route. These pipelines, this infrastructure has been put in place over many years. It can't be easily diverted. So it's going to be an interesting one there, but this is now a big risk for uh, the European economy this year, another risk, we should say. And maybe that's also taken a hit to sentiment as well at times this week. We've also seen results from many of the big tech companies, Craig, uh, Meta, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Twitter. Of course, Meta, the owner of Facebook, which has had some reasonable results, hasn't it? It's recovered somewhat. So Meta's results were quite good uh, in light of where the view of Meta was. We've got to remember Meta's share price has fallen very heavily this year. It's down more than 50% from its kind of late 2021 peak. So it's fallen a long way because of the challenges it faces in the environment in terms of the Apple iPhone upgrades and the impact that that's had on its ability to advertise and to target um, using the data that it was collecting previously. But, and also in the current environment as well, when we're, when we're talking about user growth and also the cost of living crisis, the impact on businesses and households and what's that, what 
impact is that going to have on advertising revenue as well? But one of the important things for Meta's results came in the form of user growth. And I think that was the encouraging sign. It's yes, we're in a challenging environment, but if we can continue to increase the amount of users on our platforms, then ultimately we will be able to capitalize on that further down the road. So I think that was one of the core uh, takeaways really from those results. Spotify as well. We did see some uh, some strong results, but again, the, the 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 reading on that was much more negative in terms of concerns around user growth. And again, it's kind of being caught up in the whirlwind of the streaming giant and people's view on them in this very tough period for households. The cost of living crisis is hitting uh, households across the country, across the world. We're hitting the period now where people are starting to ask work and the cutbacks be made. And the streaming services very much seem to be front and centre. One reason is because I think many people, many households loaded up on them during the pandemic and are going outside a lot more and therefore maybe realise they don't need them quite as much as they did or don't use them quite as much as they did. But also because of the flexibility within the kind of subscription options, they're, they're an easy one to drop or to share with other people within your household or to share with relatives or friends, etc. And therefore, I think we are seeing a challenging environment and uh, the Spotify owner was quick to separate itself from Netflix. Obviously, Netflix a couple of weeks ago reported that they had 200,000 fewer subscribers in the first quarter and they expect that to be more like 2 million fewer in the second quarter. Spotify really wanted to distance itself from that. They're still projecting strong growth, but it doesn't seem to have caught on very well uh, with the markets. So that's a, a big challenge as far as these streamers are concerned. As you've mentioned, we've still got Apple, Amazon, Twitter to come. Again, some really interesting numbers. Twitter, maybe less so. You've kind of got this big Elon Musk-shaped elephant in the room, which is uh, maybe going to be distracting from those earnings results, uh, obviously wanting to take the company private. But with regards to a company like Apple, this is a company where they, they've been giving a lot of this cash pile back, or not a lot of it. There's a substantial cash pile, but a lot of cash in, in, in general terms back in, to in terms of uh, share buybacks, etc. So that's going to be the key thing today. We're in a challenging environment. One of the reasons why some of these stocks are more than 50% from their highs, and you look at Apple and it's only 15, 1.5% uh, from its highs, is because it offers the kind of sweetener of these big share buybacks. So even in a challenging environment, which is still navigating through very well um, it's not necessarily as susceptible to the cost of living crisis as uh, some of these streamers but it still obviously has a, a thriving services business which it which it relies upon in terms of growth uh, but at the same time if you can offer these big sweeteners in terms of massive share buybacks then that's going to keep investors on board Amazon again it's a, it's a behemoth it's it's a massive business still continuing to see strong results and we expect to see more of that today and obviously it has this massively growing cloud business which uh, is obviously uh, to a great extent uh, going to be shielded from uh, the 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 situation which we're seeing right now so I think we're going to see some really interesting results still to come today, and that's just three of many results, whether we're looking at things like Samsung, Pfizer, etc. So plenty, I think, to focus on today. This is a massive week, especially in terms of these big tech stocks. We've already seen a bit of a mixed bag in terms of market reaction to the numbers that we've seen, and I expect the next 24 hours to be key as well. And with Google and Facebook, Craig, it's not so much about subscriptions, is it? It's more about the advertising, the online ads, and they are facing more competition from other newer platforms. I'm thinking of the likes of TikTok. Uh, you mentioned Amazon. They're getting into that level of business as well. I understand what you're saying about Netflix and so on regarding subscriptions, but uh, the market isn't as kind to the likes of Google and Facebook anymore. They haven't got that duopoly they used to have. 
No, they they are still an enormous share. We we can't ignore the fact that they are still an enormous share of the market. Um, but there is more competition coming, uh, and as you say, I think TikTok is is a, is a fantastic example of that. Um, and, and I think there's going to be others that are going to be looking to edge in on there. I imagine Elon Musk, for example, if he does completely take over a Twitter, is going to have his um, is going to have plans of his own to to uh, better capitalize on the uh, number the the number of users and how they are um, making money effectively from them. Uh, and I think advertising is a clear uh, area that can we can see some improvement but i think ultimately the biggest challenges for these companies right now is going to be that households are likely to start spending less money because the because of the rising energy bills because of the rising food bills etc etc squeezing their disposable income which means that there's going to be less uh, less for many of these people marketing companies to kind of capitalize on but then also the businesses are going to be squeezed as well we're in the midst of a challenging period so how is there going to be the same level of appetite for marketing spend on these platforms as there was a year ago when we were emerging from the pandemic people were using these platforms heavily we were seeing uh, the revenues and the interest uh, uh, growing rapidly during what was an incredibly strong recovery from the pandemic when people had stimulus checks and furlough payments in their pockets and had money to spend. This is quite a different scenario, uh, and therefore that's going to make life very challenging for many of these advertising firms. Meanwhile, Craig, the dollar has risen above 130 against the yen, so do I take it the Bank of Japan is continuing to defend its currency? It is. This is kind of combination of factors. We are seeing, broadly speaking, a strong dollar. I think the kind of risk aversion we've seen this week, uh, early on in the week, has helped to support the US dollar. The expectation that we are going to see a very aggressive tightening policy from the Federal Reserve also adding to that. And then you counter that with what the Bank of Japan is doing, one of the few central banks that's not only standing by its policy, but because of the policy tool it has in place. This isn't like the Bank of England, where it committed to buy 50 billion, 75 billion more uh, gilts over an X amount of time. This isn't the Federal Reserve that decided to increase its balance sheet by X billion dollars each month uh, for for the foreseeable period. The Bank of Japan chose its policy tool slightly differently. They chose its policy tool that it wanted to keep uh, JGBs, the 10-year Japanese government bonds, at 0% within a certain band of around 0.25% either side. What that means is there's going to be periods, or there has been periods previously, when it wouldn't have had to be that engaged within the markets because the market, we were already seeing yields lower across the board. Now it's having to be much more active in order to try and support that. We've seen the Japanese 10-year pushing 0.25% repeatedly in recent weeks. The Japanese central bank has had to be very active in the markets to to buy these up at 0.25% to try and push those yields down, to try and convince the markets that it can sustain this policy, pushing back against these market forces, which is always a difficult game. We've seen that with currency pegs in the past. The most famous is probably the Bank of England and uh, George Soros, but the Swiss National Bank in recent years uh, as well. Um, So we've seen how hard it can be to continue to push back against these market forces. The Bank of Japan is continuing to do so, but that's coming at the cost of the Japanese yen. The Japanese yen has been weakening considerably now over the course of a number of weeks. So we've seen the dollar yen, for example, in early March was at around 116, 115, and it's now gone through 130, um, only a couple less than a couple of months later. We always say that central banks, policymakers, they don't mind seeing their currency weaken over a period of time. What they struggle with and what they don't like to see is the currency moving either to the upside or to the downside aggressively over a very short period of time. And that's what we're seeing. So what we're going to hear a lot more now of 
continue continually is talk of the Ministry of Finance intervening in the FX markets to try and support the yen at a time when the Bank of Japan is intervening in the in the bond markets to try and protect its yield curve control. These countering forces is going to be very difficult to sustain. And at this point in time, the Bank of Japan is just holding on to that policy tool. It's just continuing to support that, but it's very much coming at the cost of the yen. At some point, something has to give. And I do wonder whether the Bank of Japan is going to be forced to accept that it can't keep 10 years around 0% and it may have to tweak that tool in order to allow market forces to play um, to play a bigger part and to stop fighting it ultimately. Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us this morning. Have a good day. Thank you, you too. This is the Oanda Podcast.